The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Well, we are continuing our series, Habits of Grace. Uh, this is the last habit that we're going to be looking at today, and we're excited to dive into this. Next week, we are going to conclude the series and uh, looking at just how to practically and functionally implement much of what we've been talking about over the last several months, and so we're excited about concluding this. As we're taking the opportunity, we've been looking at habits such as church attendance, as Bible reading, as prayer, and fasting, and we're looking at how God uses each each and every one of these spiritual disciplines to stir up our ability to really experience God's grace and enjoy our relationship with Jesus that much more deeply and that much more profoundly. And uh, we're looking at how God promises to use these things to really stir up our ability to enjoy the Christian walk. And so we're going to continue that here today. Uh, This morning, Nick and I, we decided we were going to switch Today, uh, he is going to come and preach this morning, and then I'm going to come, and I'm going to preach this evening's gathering. And so we're switching it up, and I'm so thankful uh, for Pastor Nick and his willingness just to preach and teach the Word. And uh, how many of you realize even even pastors need to be preached to? And I'm thankful that we're in a congregation uh, where we have that opportunity to do that. And with a heart of faith, I'm entering into this moment expecting to hear from God's Word, expecting and anticipating God to speak to my heart, and I hope that you enter into this moment with that exact same heartbeat, to to hear from the Lord, uh, for his word to make an impact, and really that we would go out of these back doors, not just having learned something, but we'll have moved through this, really having been influenced from the heart, the inside out, in that way. And so let's, uh, if you would, we're going to take a moment and uh, stand as we read our text here today from Matthew chapter number 16. Let's begin reading in verse number 13. We'll read down through verse 18. The Bible says this in Matthew 16, verse number 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Well, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he, Jesus, said unto them, But... Whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's have a word of prayer as Pastor Nick comes and preaches on the subject of the habit of church attendance. All right, well, full disclosure this morning, I've had eight cups of coffee this morning. So if this is fast, you know why. It's been a long week, and I was like, man, I can't be tired when I go to preach, so... We are prayed up, and we are caffeined up, and we are ready to go. Well, as we've been saying throughout this series, the theme of this series, Habits of Grace, is these sacred practices, these spiritual disciplines, these habits of grace, as we're calling them, aren't about getting God to love you more, because that's impossible. The Bible tells us that God has loved us with an everlasting love. It's impossible for God to love you anymore. 
But what these habits of grace do is they help us to experience the grace that God freely gives us. And as we experience his grace, our heart and our love for him does grow. And as Pastor said this morning, we're going to look at the habit of grace of church attendance. So let's jump right into it this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter number 16. Pastor just read uh, the scripture a moment ago. So let's back up a few verses and kind of put ourselves uh, in the disciples' shoes, kind of put ourselves in this story a little bit. Uh, Our text tells us that uh, Jesus and the disciples, they came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. And while they're on this journey, right before they leave, Jesus, in the verses just before, he gives the disciples a warning. He tells them to watch out for the Pharisees and for the Sadducees. And Jesus gives them this warning concerning it, and the disciples completely miss the point. Um, They're like, they just don't even get the warning that Jesus is trying to give them. And because of that, Jesus, he kind of has to correct them, and he does so a little bit sternly. He says, no, guys, you're not getting what I'm telling you. I'm talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees not the fact that you forgot the loaves and the bread. That's, that's not it. And so he kind of almost sternly has to correct them a little bit. And so I can imagine as they're going to Caesarea Philippi, there's probably a little bit of this awkward silence, like, oh, yeah, oops, we totally missed that. And as they're going, there's probably this little bit of an awkward silence. And as they're arriving, Jesus kind of breaks the awkward silence by throwing out a question. He says, all right, guys, who, who are people saying I am? Who do men say that I am? And I'm sure the disciples were probably pretty quick. Oh, this is an easy one. We can, we can get this one, right? Uh, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And they're kind of saying, yeah, this is kind of the pulse. This is who people uh, think you are. And then Jesus kind of flips it a little bit, and he asks probably one of the most important questions a person can answer. He said, okay, I, I know this is who people are saying I am, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter you got to love Peter, the guy that's always quick to answer and most of the time puts his foot in his mouth. This time he answers correctly. He jumps up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I love the confidence there. He's not saying, I think you're the Christ. We're really hoping that you're the Messiah. He says, no, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter correctly answers and he states who Jesus is. And then Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you're blessed. Because this isn't something you figured out on your own. This isn't something flesh and blood has revealed to you. This isn't something you were really clever and put all the pieces together. He said, no, my Father which is in heaven has revealed this to you. My Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And then it almost seems like Jesus switches to a completely different topic. It feels a little bit like he's completely switching gears here, but Jesus isn't completely switching gears here. You're gonna know, we're going to talk about what Jesus is doing and what he's saying, and I love it. Let's look at what he's saying. Jesus says, yes. I am Christ, and because of that, I'm going to start something. Yes, I am the Messiah, and because I am the Messiah, because I am the Son of the living God, I'm going to start a movement. I'm going to build something that not even hell in all of its forces can stop. I'm going to build my church. Now, to see what Jesus is doing here, he's setting up his supremacy as the foundation of the church. And the theme for our message this morning is simply this. The more Jesus is a big deal to us, the more the local church will be a big deal to us. Which leads us to our first thought this morning. Simply, Jesus is the foundation of the local church. Jesus is the foundation of the local church. Immediately after who Jesus is becomes established, his church enters the picture. His church enters the picture. It can feel like he's switching gears, but he's not. He's saying, yes, I'm the Messiah. And because I'm the Messiah, I'm going to start the church. 
Two things I want to notice about Jesus. First of all, Jesus is supreme. I know that's not new to a lot of us. I know we're not really going to get a dopamine fix by hearing Jesus is supreme. But the Bible tells us in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things of earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is supreme. And while oftentimes we understand this on an academic level, we don't always act like Jesus is a big deal to us. And so the question I want to put before us today is, how big of a deal is Jesus to you? Is Jesus a big deal? I love hearing the story about Fred and Connie Bell. They started coming to church, and at church we'd say all the time, you need to get in a connection group, you need to get in a connection group. And I remember having a meeting with them and saying, hey, what connection group do you guys want to be part of? And they said, man, we really want to be in one, but our work schedule just doesn't allow for it, and we work in the evenings, and I just don't know that we can make one. And man, it wasn't long until they literally closed down their business for a night so they could come to a connection group. Jesus is a big deal to them. They're willing to say, I'm willing to not work and maybe lose a little bit of money so I can be a part of the church, so I can be a part of a connection group. I know Jesus is a big deal to her right now because she's dealing with my son in nursery who's being awful this morning. You have to love Jesus to serve a nursery. But no, the question is, how big of a deal is Jesus to you? Is he supreme in your life? Oftentimes I've heard people say, yeah, Jesus is a big deal to me, but the local church really isn't. I've, I've heard it said before, news and in articles and on websites, I'm not going to walk out on Jesus, I would never do that, but I'm done with the local church. Which leads us to our sec- second thought this morning. Yes, Jesus is supreme, but Jesus has a body. Jesus has a body. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. This is the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit telling the local church, you are the body of Christ. So when a person says, yeah, I'm all about Jesus, I'm just not all about the local church, it's a contradiction of terms. You can't be all about Jesus and not be all about the local church. One of the things I love about living in Fresno is there's a lot of bodies of Jesus running around the city of Fresno. It's great. But the local church is the body of Christ. Greg Allison said the church is the only entity in the entire world called the body of Christ. Now to help us illustrate this, I'm going to have Anthony Castro. I saw him earlier. Come up on the platform. Come on up, Anthony. Come up here and help me. Anthony's a good friend of mine. Anthony and I, we study the word together. We've gone hiking together. We've been good friends for many years. He even cuts my hair. He does a great job. Anthony's a really good friend of mine. Yeah, come all the way up, man. I didn't. I never do. (laughs) Hey, how are you? Good to see you, man. Now, imagine I was going to great lengths to tell you how good of a friend Anthony was. He's my friend. We're brothers in Christ. We study the word. We do all these things together. And then you started to watch me. And as you watched me and you observed, you noticed that every time Anthony walked in the room, I left. Now, not just he happens to be coming in while I happen to be going out. Literally, it's like I'm avoiding him. And then every time Anthony and I make a plan, hey, Anthony, can you cut my hair Tuesday at 12? Tuesday at 12 comes around and I just don't show. And you were watching this, you would say, Nick, you say he's your friend, but it seems like you're avoiding him. And I say, no, 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 I love Anthony. Anthony's great. I just don't like the physical body that's standing before me. You'd say, that makes no sense. But how often do we do that with Christ in the church? 
Oh, I love Jesus. I'm all about Jesus. I just cannot stand the local church. Thank you, Anthony. You can be seated. How often do we do that? I want you to imagine you and your wife every week, you once a week, you have a date night picked out. And every week you're going to get together and you guys look forward to this date, you plan for this date. And about one or two times a month, your spouse just stands you up. How would that feel? And say your spouse comes up to you, my wife comes up to me, honey, we had this date and you just you stood me up, you weren't there, what happened? Oh, babe, I love you. I just really want to enjoy our marriage over at Dick's Sporting Goods all by myself. That's a bad husband thing to do. Babe, I love you. It's just your earlobes. They just drive me nuts and I can't be around you. It's like saying, I want to come to church. Just so-and-so drives me nuts. They're a member of the body. That's like me telling my wife, I don't want to go on a date with you because I don't like your earlobes. <laughs> it sounds almost ridiculous. But how often do we do that to Jesus, who is supreme, who is our king? Jesus has a body, and his body is Jesus. When we say we love Jesus, but don't prioritize the local church, that's exactly what we're doing. When we let our hobbies win over church, when we let sports win over church, when we let making money that we don't really need win over the local church. Now, I need to be careful because I don't want people just showing up to church because, well, it's my duty, I'm going to show up. I want people to be so in love with Jesus and Jesus to be such a big deal with him, and to him to be truly supreme in their life, that they're like, I just can't wait to get to church. It's the highlight of my week. I love getting with the body of Christ. You see, all of this would sound really selfish if Jesus wasn't really the best thing for us. But Jesus wants us to experience life and life abundantly, and he wants to be the biggest thing in your life because Jesus being the biggest thing in your life is genuinely the best thing for your life. And the priority we give the local church is a good reflection of how big of a party Jesus really is. And when Jesus is a big deal, attending church, this weekly gathering every week where we come together as the body of Christ, it's going to be a big deal because Jesus is a big deal. Because we recognize that this is a habit of grace. Coming together as the body of Christ is a way we get to experience Jesus in a way we don't get to experience the rest of the week. When we come together Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m., we come together for our weekly gathering as the body of Christ. We get to sing and worship corporately with our church family. We get to sit under the Word of God with our church family and hear from His Word. We get to come together as the body of Christ. We recognize that it's a habit of grace. And when Jesus is a big deal, we're going to realize, man, I, there's, where else would I want to be? I want to be around Jesus. I want to be around his body. I want to be around the church. And the more Jesus is a big deal to us, the more the local church will be a big deal to us. So I want to ask you another question. If Jesus really is supreme, questions to kind of help us know how to think about the church. If Jesus is really supreme, if he really is reigning, is that reign actually operative? What does the reign of Jesus look like? What does that mean? What does it even do? In order for the reign of Jesus to transcend the mere climax of a good story, it must have a tangible expression in the world. How is the force of Jesus' supremacy felt? We sang earlier, the mountains shake before you, the demons run and flee. How, what is, how, does that even, how do you even see that in the real world? The answer is his local church, which leads us to our next thought this morning. Jesus expresses himself through the local church. Because it's his body and he is supreme, 
Jesus expresses himself through the local church. It's no accident that immediately after Peter confesses the identity of Christ, says, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God, Jesus makes the statement. First, he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father in heaven. And then he says, I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock, the rock of my supremacy, the rock of my deity, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Both parts of the statement are related to the supremacy of Jesus. Making the church Jesus' supremacy is expose. The first part is about the church's beginnings. The second part is about the church's sustenance. The church exists because God has designed it to be. It's not according to flesh and blood creativity. This wasn't just a bunch of people 2,000 years ago getting around saying, hey, what can we do? Let's try this and see if it sticks. No, this is Jesus' idea. This is God's idea. It's Jesus who stands as the fulcrum of a new nation, having created himself one new man, Ephesians 2.15. And here's the key. He is the one creating, not us. We would still be in darkness had it not been permission of God and for his church. Jesus having been sent and his spirit opening our eyes. But not only that, the only reason the church lasts is because the Father, who puts all things under the feet of Jesus, gave Jesus to the church. Jesus gave his life for the church, but he also nourishes the church and cherishes the church, which makes the church holy and invincible, Ephesians 5.29. The head of the church is the ruler of the universe. The head of the Ambassador Baptist Church is Jesus Christ. The ruler of the universe. (laughs) The guy who's going to win. I don't know about you, but I want to be on that team. I don't know about you, but if Christ is the head of the church, and here at Ambassador, he is the head of our church. I want to be with him. I want to be on his team. I want to be under the thing that Jesus says, yeah, I'm the ruler of it all, and I'm the head of this. I want to be a part of that. I want to be in the local church. I want to be here every week, Sunday morning at 1030. Why? Because Christ is our head. This is his idea. This is his doing. This isn't just us thinking of, hey, what can we do on Sunday mornings at 1030? It's not like there's not enough stuff to do. No, this is God's idea. And he says, I am the head of the church. That should make us want to be a part of it. That should make us the highest priority of our week. You see, the force of Jesus' supremacy is his church. It's his local church. I'll say this, even when you're on vacation, go to a good church. Find a church you wouldn't normally go to. Maybe it's a different ethnic make. Go. Just be in church on vacation. You say, why? Because Jesus is a big deal. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm really thankful we're live streaming this right now. I think it's great. But sitting at home and watching online is not going to church. So when you're on vacation, you say, I, I don't know where a good church is. Come and talk to me. We'll find one. I'm really good at using Google. <laughs> we can find a church for you. Don't just watch online. If you're in a different time zone, go to church, then watch online and share it on Facebook. There we go. Um, No, but church is going to be a big deal. I can remember on Sarah and I's honeymoon, we went to church. We went to church. We didn't know anybody. I was on my honeymoon. I'm like Nixon full-on introvert mode. But we're going to church. We're going to go be part of the body. We, We planned it all out. I was like, man, I'm in introvert mode. So we slipped in the side door where nobody would see us. The plan was to slip out that same side door. We were like avoiding the greeters. And then they have a handshaking time. And I'm like, oh, man, introvert's worst nightmare in church, handshaking. And so we're, you know, we're, we're being nice, and we're talking to people. And this one lady, she was, she was a great church member. She's like doing the, hi, how are you? Welcome to our church. How'd you hear about us? I'm like, man, this lady, she's, she's a good church member. She's doing her thing. And then I'm like, yeah, we're on a honeymoon. And it like killed the conversation. They're like, oh, that's awkward. I don't want to talk to you right now. And then handshaking time was over, and we slipped out the door. No, but the body is a big deal. So even on vacation, even if you're ready to get married and you're going on your honeymoon, don't come to this church, but go go to church. 
I don't want to see you on your honeymoon, but go be a part of the body of Christ. Be in church. See, when Jesus is a big deal to us, we'll make attendance of a local church a priority. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. You knew I was going to get this verse in here on a message on church attendance, right? Let me sum it up for you in modern English. Don't skip church. It's a big deal. Why? Because we realize this is the body of Christ. This is a habit of grace that God has given us, and we're going to be there. We want to be there. It seems like the busier society gets, the more and more people are cramming in on the weekends. Used to be a day and age when Friday, 5 o'clock, the world shuts down. doesn't start up again until Monday morning. Now it's like, here's this thing you can do, and here's this thing you can do, and here's this thing you can do. I think that's why this verse says, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The closer we get to the Lord coming back, the more culture is trying to ram down our throats and saying, do this, and do this, and do this, and do this to be popular, do this to be well-off, do this to be fit, and do this, and do this. And it's like somewhere along the way, Jesus and his body just kind of slipped to the background. But when Jesus is a big deal, attending a local church is going to be the big deal. I'm looking around here and I'm seeing people, and because I know you, the deep struggles you're going through, and yet you're here. Why? Because Jesus is a big deal to you. The truth is, the more we miss church, the less we'll miss church. That's why it needs to be a habit of grace where we can come every week, Sunday morning, take an hour and a half out of our busy schedule and just worship Jesus and experience him. There used to be a day and age... I say day and age, that goes a long time ago. It was me in college, so nine years ago. <laughs> I'm so old. No, but when I was in college, like, no joke, I, people that were really talented would really impress me. Like, you're, you're in Bible college, you're in seminary, and this guy gets up and he preaches this great message, and you're just like, wow, he is so cool. He's so talented. You talk to a guy, and they just know the word, and they know so much about the Bible, and you talk to him, and every time you talk to him, they have this new little nugget. And I was just, wow, look at all his Bible knowledge. And then you get to know the guy, and he can talk, but he doesn't walk the walk. Now what impresses me is just people who are so in love with Jesus that can't help but be consistent to his church. Society doesn't value consistency anymore. Here's a new thing, here's a new thing, here's a new thing, here's a new thing. But what impresses me is people who are just so in love with Jesus that it's like, I'm not going to be anywhere else. Lori Safford, body riddled with MS, but every week she's here. Because Jesus is a big deal to her. I think last, uh, two weeks ago, when we had our Thanksgiving service, Peggy Judd, over 90 years old, stood up and said this, I've been a part of this church for most of my life. Just so in love with Jesus, she couldn't help but be here. Pray for her. She just recently got out of the hospital. But she was here. Why? Because Jesus was a big, de- a big deal to her. Every Sunday morning, we have the opportunity to say, these other things are not as important as Jesus. Good things, not bad things, but they're not as important as Jesus. They're not as important as meeting with his body. So I'm going to be there. Now, I, I, I do want a caveat. I'm not talking about emergencies, right? If your kid breaks their leg Sunday morning, Jesus wants you to take them to the ER, Okay. <laughs> If you're sick, Jesus does not want you to come here and cough on everybody during handshaking time and get everybody sick. Then you can stay at home and then you can watch online, okay? Um, 
We're not talking about emergencies. When my wife was giving birth to Nicholas, we were in the hospital. She's sitting over here this time. I'm used to her pointing at Ben and Tracy. You are not my wife. (laughs) She's over there. Um, No, when she was giving birth to Nicholas, we were in the hospital. So we're not talking about emergencies. Don't, Don't leave here and say, Pastor Nick doesn't want me to do anything with my family. That's not what I'm talking about. But what we are talking about is church being a priority because Jesus is a big deal. I am talking about, I'm not going to do this hobby because it's on Sunday morning at 10.30. I'm going to be in church. I am talking about planning out my week so that I can be in church Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. And again, Jesus wants us to do this so that our joy can be full. This isn't just to build a crowd. If this was about building a crowd, there's a million other things we could do that would work way better. This isn't about just getting a lot of people in these chairs. This is about people coming together as the body of Christ, so that they can worship Christ and so that they can experience his grace and fall more deeply in love with him. When Jesus is a big deal, we'll make attendance to our local church a big deal. It'll be our priority. When Jesus is a big deal, letter B, we'll make the ordinances of our local church a, our prerogative. The ordinances at our local church will be a big deal. There's two ordinances given to the local church, baptism and communion. Both of these help us to remember what the work of Jesus Christ and to celebrate the work of Jesus Christ. I love baptism services. They're exciting. They're fun. Seeing people who recently got saved stand before us, get baptized, which symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I love that. I love celebrating with those people. I love celebrating as a church family. But the truth is, when somebody gets baptized, we all don't get in and get rebaptized with them. It's kind of funny to think about, but we all don't line up and all take a turn. But communion is the ordinance that we all get to do together. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I have received the Lord, that which also I delivered unto you. Paul saying this is something that I've received from God. It's not my idea. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed and took bread, when he gave thanks, he broke it, saying, So this is what Jesus did right before he died, right before he was betrayed. He gave this to the church. And he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for thee. For you, this do in remembrance of me. Two weeks ago, when we did communion, we took that bread, and it was a reminder to us in a tangible, physical way that engaged our senses that don't normally get engaged in worship, that reminded us how Jesus allowed his body to be broken for us. And then we drank the cup, and that's to remember the blood that Jesus had spilled for us. The truth is, an ordinance is something that you have to do to really be a church. If we were just getting around every week and like, yeah, we're going to put the name Ambassador Baptist Church on our sign, but we're not going to do baptism, we're not going to do communion, we're not really a church at that point. He gave these ordinances to a local church. David Mathis said, the ordinances rehearse for us the center of our faith through God-given images and actions. At Ambassador, we do communion about quarterly. Um, to be honest with you, it's probably one of my favorite services. Probably because it's a little more low-key, a little more quiet, a little bit more reflective. And if, I'll be honest, if you missed our communion service two weeks ago, you missed. We read scripture about how Jesus died for us. We sang songs that reminded us how Jesus died for us, and we worshiped Jesus for dying for us. Then we partook of communion. It was a really special service. We, we took testimonies afterwards, and I loved hearing from ladies like Peggy Judd and Nancy Sorensen get up and um, I, don't, I don't know if Nancy's here. She, she embarrassed me a little bit. She got up and she said, I am a scandalous, I'm an example of God's scandalous grace. And I blushed when she said the word scandalous. I was like, Nancy, are you, can you even say that? It was, it was funny. But it was awesome seeing her get up and talk about God's grace in her life. Great services where we come together 
and remember what Christ has done. Jesus has given these to us so that we can experience his grace in a unique way. Communion engages our senses in a way that don't always get engaged during worship. When Jesus is a big deal, we will make the ordinances of our local church a priority. And let her see, when Jesus is a big deal for us, we'll make our preferences about the local church secondary. When Jesus told Peter, flesh and blood haven't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, what Jesus was telling Peter is, this is God's idea. This is his doing. This is what he wants to do. This is his plan. This is his mission. His local church. Now, we all have ideas and passions and preferences. But again, the church is a body. I think Paul hits it on the head in 1 Corinthians 12. He said, verse 14 through 18, for the body is not one member, but many. The body isn't just any one of us by ourselves. It's all of us. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? No. And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members of one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. You see, the truth is, it's good and it's right that we all have different passions and we all have different ideas and we all have different preferences and we all have different personalities. That's good. That's, that's a righteous and holy thing. And God wants to bring all those things together to make up a balanced body. But what happens is it gets really messy when the nose gets mad at the eye because it can't smell. When the nose gets mad at the eye because it can't smell, it gets really messy. It gets really messy when the eye tries to smell. Can you imagine? Hey, let me smell that. It's not going to work. <laughs> Jesus made us all different so that we could all complement each other and come together in unity as the body. I, I want you to imagine, could you, could you imagine if I was just a big eyeball up here? It'd be the world's most awkward sermon. <laughs> you wouldn't hear a thing because I'm just an eyeball. I just look at you and blink. It wouldn't work. Well, that's exactly what we do when we find the one thing in Scripture that we're really passionate about, and it's a good thing, we should be passionate about it. God put that desire in our heart, but we expect that to be the main thing. When Jesus is a big deal, we're going to have our passions, and we're going to be cool about other people having their passions. We do this also when it comes to teaching and preaching. We have a topic or part of the Bible that we're really passionate about, and we want that to be the main focus. Oftentimes when people say, I'm not being fed, what they really mean is, I just don't like what's being put on the table. It's great that you have parts of the Bible that you're excited about. You should. I do. It's not a bad thing. But we can't allow one thing that we like to be elevated above everything else. God has given every local church the gift of a pastor or pastors. Now, I know depending on the local body, it's going to look a little bit differently. But Ephesians 4.11 tells us, 4, 11 through 16, tells us that God has given those pastors to the church so that they could help the church come up in the unity of Christ and be edified in Christ and begin to look more and more like Christ. God has given the local church the gift of pastors so that they can present what God has for the church, so that the church can grow into what God has for it. Just because somebody doesn't like a message doesn't mean it isn't what God has for the church. I, believe me, there's plenty of messages. I'm like, I don't like that. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that's not exactly what God has for me. Just because I don't have an appetite for something doesn't mean that's not what God wants me to eat. And pastors, 
any good pastor, he's going to be praying and he's going to be studying and he's going to be seeking the face of God every week. I'm so thankful for a pastor who puts hours and hours and hours and hours into every message every week, seeking God's face, studying the word so that he can give us what he believes God has for us. And sometimes it might be broccoli and we don't like broccoli. My son Nicholas, he has appetites for things that sometimes aren't good for him. If there's soda in the house and he knows about nine o'clock at night, he's going to want a big fat cup of it. And he'll get all excited and he'll drag me over by his finger and he'll take me to the fridge and he'll open up the fridge and he'll point at it and he'll do his little happy dance. And I'm like, kid, you're not getting soda. It's bedtime. You, know? you can have some milk. You can have some water. And I'll give him some water. And sometimes that cup of water goes down on the floor in a fit. But just because he doesn't have an appetite for it doesn't mean that's not what he needs. And sometimes you try to give him food that he needs as his dad, as his mom. We know this is the food you need to eat. He may not want it. He may not have an appetite for it. That doesn't mean it's not what he wants. When a pastor of any church stands up and says, this is the message from God, just because we don't have an appetite for it doesn't mean it's not exactly what we need so that we can grow into the image of Christ. Because God wants us to experience in his grace that he says is best for us. I don't always have an appetite for it. I have my thing I really like. I have this other hobby I might want to go do, but God says, no, I want to be a big deal to you, and that means the church is going to be a big deal to you, and I want you to experience me. This isn't about us trying to get a crowd. This is about us coming together as a body to experience God's grace. This is what is ultimately best for us. The more Jesus is a big deal to us, the more a local church will be a big deal to us. But I want you to Imagine with me for a moment. If you want to close your eyes, close your eyes. I want you to consider for a moment all that Christ has done for you. Let the weight of it sink in for a moment. Think about the nails. Think about a crown of thorns. I want you to think about God the Father placing your sin on him the sin you don't want anybody to know about, the sin you're ashamed of, I want you to imagine God punishing Jesus for that sin. Let the weight of that grip your soul. But then ask yourself, why is Jesus not my everything? Why is Jesus not our everything? I know a message like this can seem hard. But here's the deal. There is hope. There's hope because even when Jesus is not a big deal to me, I am still a big deal to Jesus. And that should make Jesus even more of a big deal to me. Because he loves me despite the fact that sometimes my priorities stink and they're out of whack. And sometimes I don't want what he wants for me. But Jesus still loves me and he still gave his life for me. And not only does he still love me, there's hope because even though this may seem hard and difficult, Christ has given us his Holy Spirit. The very same power that brought Christ from the dead and defeated sin now resides in each and every one of us that are in Christ. Think about that. We sang that song earlier. I love that song. The mountains shake before you. The demons run and flee. That power resides in you. So although sometimes our flesh will make us feel like this is hard and sometimes our emotions will make this feel like it is hard, the truth of God's word says you have power. And this is really easy for you. Because I have given you the same power that brought me back from the dead, the same power that defeated sin, and now resides in us. 
and the more we love Jesus and the more he becomes a big deal to us, church is going to be a big deal to us. The more Jesus is a big deal to us, the more our local church will be a big deal to us. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.